so maybe maybe there's maybe there's an eye candy element you know maybe maybe the the non-runner thinks you're cute and so you know lean into it this runs radio episode 1222 starts in three two Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are once again, getting towards the end of a month, the last Friday of February 2024, which means it's time for you ask, I answer a little bit of question and answer situation around here. Hope the first two months of your year are going well. If you're, if you're doing all right with your running, then obviously keep on keeping on struggling a little bit, um, which, you know, I don't want to say is normal, but it's not abnormal. It happens to the best of us from time to time. And sometimes this time of year can be a little bit rough. Hopefully you find your footing and, uh, you know, certainly there's still plenty of time. I've still 10 months left in 2024 to, uh, get things sorted and have a, a banner year. If I can help, let me know, you know, where to find me, whether it's a call, whether it's proper coaching, whether it's just a little social media checking, a little accountability post on the weekend. Uh, we do that on Instagram every week or pretty much every week. Um, however I can help you make it, make it happen. But uh, today, the way I'm going to help you or help, help those who submitted questions is by answering said questions, hopefully in a manner that's somewhat useful, somewhat beneficial. I suppose that, that the, the quality of my answers depends somewhat on the quality of the questions. And we've got some good ones. We've got some nonsense ones. We've, we've got the gamut being run of questions as per usual. If you, uh, want to get a question featured in an upcoming Q and a episode, which again, we do these every month, uh, the best way to do so is to join the Facebook group, disruns.com slash Facebook. Then uh, usually about a, a week and a half before the last Friday of every month, which tends to be the second or third Wednesday, depending on how many Fridays in the month, depending on how the days shake out. Point being, somewhere in the middle of the month, I put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions this month? And then uh, y'all y'all go to work, leave your questions there. I answer them. Of course, if you're like Gary Joe and you have you know better things to do with your life than be on Facebook, which kudos to Gary Joe. Um, you can get your questions in and other methods as well. He usually s- shoots me a DM on Twitter, but we got Instagram as well, or X, I guess. X, get it straight, Diz. It's not Twitter anymore. Uh, whatever. He sends me a DM on social media. You can try to shoot me an email. Good, good luck there. We try not to lose things in the shuffle, uh, but whatever ultimately works best for you, we'll do your be- do our best. Do my best. It's, it's the royal we around here. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, do my best to get your questions included in the Q&A episode. Um, but if you shoot them closer towards the end of the month, less of a chance of them getting lost. But that's why if you're in the Facebook group, it's just easy because they're all, they're all in that one same place. Hard to lose them. Although I suppose stranger things have happened anyway, didn't lose this month's questions. So let's get to it. Kicking off with a, with a a three pack, a a little trifecta of questions from uh, Michelle. Michelle's first question. I read something about the benefits of running backwards. Do you think there is any benefit to this? And if so, how many miles do you think would actually show a benefit? Uh, that's a that's a good question, Michelle. Because I used to I used to do a little bit of backward running. I, I haven't really run any backward miles. I mean, and, and when I say miles, like it's it's probably rare, very rare for anybody to run like a mile. But like running a mile backwards is like a thing. Like that's a thing thing. That's a commitment thing. 
Um, I used to to mix in a little bit of backward running, maybe you know, ten seconds, twenty seconds, maybe maybe a hundred yards type of thing, um, in kind of the, the the latter third or the the, the middle the, the latter end of the middle third of a marathon, if that makes sense, somewhere in like seventeen, eighteen, mile twenty one, maybe maybe, which would be beyond the final third, but whatever. Point being, um, I would use it to kind of mix up the, the the motion, kind of work my muscles a little bit differently, get some different things activated, get the glutes refired a little bit. Um, after, you know, running for a couple of hours and still having, you know, another hour or two to go, uh, it was a good way to kind of mix things up. I, I would definitely feel a short lived, but I would feel a noticeable refreshing in my legs when I turned back around and run forward. So it wasn't uncommon in a few of my marathons kind of in the early days, you know, probably six, eight, 10 years ago, um, where I would mix in, you know, three or four of those little segments. And again, we're talking 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds at most, um, you know, in, in the later stages of a marathon. Um, and, and the benefits, if you want to say there's a benefit, um, you can, you can make an argument. There's a couple different benefits. One, like I said, um, I think that, that when you've been running forward, you know, running normal, if you will, for two, three hours, four hours, depending on how long, five hours, six hours, depending on the distance of the race, how long you're out there, pace, all those types of things, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to mix things up a little bit. Um, cause what, what tends to happen, at least what happens to me, and, and I know that this happens for other folks. Maybe this happens for you, Michelle, maybe not so much. But, you know, as you fatigue, your form starts to, to get a little bit uh, less than great. Um, you know, you start to maybe shuffle a little bit more. You're dragging your feet, whatever, hunched over, things like that. And for whatever reason, I'm sure there's some physiological reasons. I think there's probably some mental reasons as well. When you turn around and run backwards, it's almost like you're, you're doing everything in reverse, right? Like the muscles that are used to like, like the front muscles, your quads and your hip flexors that are used to like lifting your leg forward. All of a sudden they're kind of flipped rolls. Like they're extending out. They're lengthening a little bit. When you start running backwards, you get your glutes a little bit more fired. Cause they're, they're driving your leg, which I guess is forward, but they're driving your leg backwards, but you're running backwards. So it's driving it in the forward direction. Your hamstrings engage a little bit more. Your glutes engage a little bit more. So it can be a good way to kind of wake things up. Of course, there's the, the, the hidden, I don't want to say hidden benefit because it's not a hidden, it's not, it's neither hidden nor a benefit. Um, the risk of doing that is it's a lot easier to trip and fall when you're running backwards because you can't, you can't turn your eyes to the, to the back of your head. Uh, sure. You can kind of, you know, run with your head twisted around over your shoulder, trying to look behind you. Um, obviously wouldn't want to do that on a trail. I uh, wouldn't want to do it on a congested race course or a congested road situation. Um, are there benefits? Are there like major benefits? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, how, how often do you hear about, you know, any type of, and, and I hate to say it this way, cause I'm always one to be like dismissive of what, like, just because the elites do something doesn't mean it's like the thing, but like, if there was a real benefit to it, like the elites would all be talking about how, how many miles per week they run backward. Right. And like, they don't, um, it's not, again, it's not a bad thing. It works your muscles a little bit differently. It can, it can get your glutes a little bit more engaged. It can be a nice little change of pace during a longer run. If you can do it safely, um, I don't think there's any negatives really to it other than the, the increased risk of tripping and falling potentially. Um, but you know, it's, it's neutral. I would call it neutral at best. Um, I've done it. I haven't done it in a long time and I'm running better than I ever have. I'm not saying that there's, that there's a relationship there. I'm not saying that I'm running better because I haven't run backwards. Um, I do not think in any way, shape or form that I would be running even better than I am now. Have I, had I mixed in more backward running? Like it's, it's, 
it's neutral. It's neutral um, from my perspective. Try it though. I mean, you know, this is one of those one of those things where, hey, try it and see what if it, if it does anything for you. If it if it helps to mix things up. If it helps to to add a little pep back to your step after running, um, you know, for a certain amount of time. If, if you start to get fatigued, you might notice a little bit of difference. Um, because I have, I certainly have noticed a short term benefit, mid long run or mid race, to mixing in a little bit of backward backward stepping. So good luck. Try it. Let me know. Next question from Michelle. I'm having trouble wrapping my head around the fact that a 20-year-old can run easy while staying, staying, keeping their heart rate at 160 and under. So we're talking about the math formula here. For those of you that don't speak heart rate zones, you know, the math method, 180 minus age, that determines your easy level of heart rate. Um, but my, and then so to continue with Michelle's question, but my old butt has to be under 130. I'm trying. Why does, it, why does age as opposed to feel play such a big part? 140 was already tough for me. 130 feels so slow. Um, so, so there's, there's some layers to the question, Michelle, and in, in the, the hope of not turning this into a 45 minute discussion of trying to, to break through all the, the physiology, you know, layers, um, the, the, the simplest truth or the simplest answer is that as we age for a, a handful of reasons, physiological predominantly, um, really exclusively, but like, like our ability to push to a high level decreases with age, right? Like, like it's just, it's just, and maybe I'm not quite saying that correctly, but like, like as you get older, it's just like, that's just, that that's just part of the, the, the equation, right? Like if, if you, if you're going to get older, your, your, your higher level of exertion is going to go down. I mean, there's a, there's a reason just look at, again, look at whether we're talking pro runners, pro athletes of any level of any type of sport, you know, that, that kind of 20, 21, 22, 23, somewhere in there usually is kind of the prime, right? 24, maybe 25. Start getting on the other side of 30 and like they're still fit, right? They're still healthy. They're still strong. They're still active. Um, but with age comes a decrease in performance and that Im- impacts heart rate as well, right? In terms of like what is easy, what is hard, um, you know, just maximum heart rate starts to decrease with age as well, which is, that's, that's a big part of, of that, the, the, the rationale for that is that you're, you're maximum, you're just, you're, you're capable of, of slightly decreased effort every year with age, but you start to, you know, add up 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Like, yeah, it's a big difference. Okay. But that's, I mean, that's just, that's just part of the aging process. Um, but, but why does that make such a big difference as opposed to feel? Well, I think that, that somewhat in there, it's, it's kind of the difference between, you know, um, I don't want to say fact and fiction, but it's like, it's hard science versus soft science, if you will. So like the age is pretty, it's, it's undeniable, right? You're, you're, you're 37, you're 42, you're 51. Like however old you, like, you know, you can't lie to yourself unless you really try to lie to yourself. But like, I was born in 1982. Right, I had a birthday a month ago. I'm 42. Uh, there, there's no period. I can be, I can be um, peak athlete performance. You know, I'm sure there's there's somebody playing a professional sport somewhere that's 42, who's probably in much better shape than I am. Um, I could be, you know, somebody who hasn't gotten off the couch in seven years and be in pathetically terrible shape um, for for any for some for, for legitimate reasons in terms of health situations, whatever. Some just because, 
you know, I was living with my with my mom and in my mom's basement playing video games and recording a podcast, like whatever rationale might be. Um, you know, I could be 42 and in terrible shape. I could be out of breath going up the stairs to get more Cheetos and, and Pepsi, right? Um, like age is, age is fixed. It is what it is. But how you feel on a run, that's that's a bit that's much more subjective. I mean, by definition, it's completely subjective. Um, and that's what that's why I'm such a big fan of of heart rate in terms of identifying easy because a lot of us and I was I was here. I this was a hundred percent me seven, eight years ago. I thought I was running easy. I felt comfortable. It felt good, but I was, but, but physiologically, according to, you know, my heart rate, according to how hard my body was working while I was doing some runs that I thought were easy. I was running, Oh, I'm running, you know, eight fifteen pace, nice and easy. And like, no, I was not running easy. Like, like physiologically it was not easy. Um, but it felt fine. It felt no big deal in part because I didn't know what it felt like to run easy. Right. And I think that's that's ultimately where feel gets us into trouble sometimes is because, you know, we, we feel like it's always kind of felt this level. So maybe that must be easy when our bodies might be like, no, nah, dude, not not so easy. So so that's that's a big piece of the puzzle, um, you know, and then and then the other thing to keep in mind that, that gets lost in the shuffle. And I don't know if, if um, it just doesn't get talked about by me or it doesn't get talked about by a lot of places at times, but like. Yeah, 130 might feel real slow. 140 was tough to stay under, okay? But as your as your fitness improves and and you know, this is this is the frustrating thing about heart rate training or one of the frustrating things about heart rate training is it's not going to make a massive improvement in a few weeks. Probably not even a massive improvement in a few months. Now there might be a couple of hints of improvement in a few months, but like probably not a massive improvement. Um but if you stick with it and you keep going and, you know, months turn into a year and year turns into two and two turns into four and five, I say all of a sudden, we're talking about four, three, four, five years worth of, of, of minor incremental progress. And then whoops, all of a sudden you, you find yourself going, wow, like I can actually push a little bit and my heart rate still stays below 130. I can push a little bit. And my heart rate barely even creeps over. 122. Now, when I say push a little bit, I don't mean like really running hard, right? But like I used to not be able to navigate a Florida hill without my heart rate spiking, right? Um, and, and if you don't speak Florida hill, that means like I couldn't go up a, a five foot incline. <laughs> like like Florida hills are, are not a thing. Now I run in Georgia in our neighborhood here. There's hills all over the place. And like... Yes, my heart rate goes up a little bit when I'm going up the hills, but it kind of usually settles low enough that like it doesn't even go over my my 138, 139, something like that. So it kind of is right about at my line, but it doesn't really go over. It doesn't spike. Now, I'm not sprinting up the hill. I don't want to. I don't want to misinterpret. I, I you know, and I'm running slower up the hill than I am on a flat or on a down because gravity, right? But the the point I'm trying to make is if you stick with it, it still might feel slow. But does it feel easy? That's what we want it to feel. Um, and you'll also see that you can do certain things without it spiking as much as it used to. And that's those are some of your signs of progress. So um, it's tough. It is tough. And it, it, it does take a little bit of faith to wrap your head around the idea that, that running in the in the 120s is going to improve your fitness. But but again, you know, and to maybe to put some some finer numbers on it, maybe you're running right now. And I don't know what your pace is. It doesn't really matter. But just as an example, you know, maybe you're trying to run below 130 
and um, you're struggling with a 12-minute pace, right? Feels slow, is is slower than what you've been running in the past. Um, but in in a year or two or three, uh, if you can st- if you can stomach, if you can shelve your ego and stomach the the uh, the mental discomfort to keep your heart rate down. Um, you might find that in, in a year or two or three, you're running 1030 at that same 127, 128 beats per minute. Um, which not for nothing, that's a substantial improvement, but also that means that, that you can, you know, settle into a faster pace without your heart rate spike and on a, on a race day type of thing. So maybe you'll be running above 130. You'll probably be running above 130, but instead of your heart rate, getting up into the one fifties and one sixties at, you know, nine minute pace or eight thirty pace or whatever, it might be at, you know, 135 which you can, you can keep cruising on that for a while because your aerobic engine is so strong. So it's, it's tough. I get it, but stick with it. Trust the process. Um, and it will, it will pay off even though it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, uh, in the early days for sure. Uh, final question from Michelle. I have a six year old. He has signed up for a 5k and we are practicing any tips on keeping a young one interested and push him without being too pushy. I mean, I think it's all about making it fun, right? Like, like hopefully he's enjoying it. Um, hopefully it's it's his idea to sign up for the five k and to do it or to do it with you, whatever. Um, but you know whatever whatever it is that makes it fun. It's it's playing games. It's a little bit of tag. It's 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 walking some when you need to. It's let's race to the to the next driveway. It's um, you know maybe there's a treat at the end of the five k. You know a little bit of of something special. Uh, in terms of, you know, whatever it is, ice cream or something like that. I mean, just whatever, whatever kind of things that he's into that he enjoys, um, fun conversation when, when Addie and I were training for it, she's a little bit older, uh, when, when, you know, we really, uh, she ran her first, uh, 5k this past Thanksgiving, but we had trained for one the Thanksgiving prior. So she was seven, eight instead of six. Um, or she was, yeah, she was eight when we trained for the first one and nine when she finally ran it. Um, but, but what I would do to kind of encourage her to push her was just to, to kind of give her the mental trick of like, you know, we're running through the neighborhood. So there's a driveway every hundred feet or something like that. Right. It was like, just run to the next driveway and then you can walk. And then we get to the next driveway and then it's like, do you need to walk? If we need to walk, we'll walk. If not, can we run to the next driveway? And so it was just kind of breaking down those chunks to kind of keep her moving. And, and like on race day, she's like, I just have to run to the next driveway. So it kind of became a little bit of a mantra for her. So maybe something like that works. Um, but anytime she wanted to walk, we just walked. Right. So, so it's just, it's just keep it fun. I, you know, at least for me, and I would assume probably for you as well, for most parents whose, whose young ones are, are dabbling in running. It's like, you know, we don't want to turn them off to the sport, um, at six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, right? Like make it fun. If they, if they venture away and they get into some other type of activity, great. But, but hopefully they, they're experiencing it. Hopefully your son's experience with this first 5k is positive enough. And you know, hopefully it's very positive that if and when he ever wants to come back to the sport, if he does walk away from it, he'll come back to it with a good taste in his mouth because he enjoyed the time running with mom. Um, he enjoyed the ice cream afterwards. Uh, he enjoyed the little race to the stop sign and then the walk for a little bit and things like that. Um, but fun, you know, make it fun as much fun as you can. And, uh, hopefully, you know, that race day experience will be a lot of fun as well. But, uh, thank you for the questions, milady. Hope, hope that was a little bit helpful somewhere, some way, some shape, some form. Um, Questions from Lewis. The first question I'm just going to dis- dismiss because there's no good answer to it. Uh, second question. Also probably should dismiss, but I'll at least address this one. Uh, funny pro question. What is your take on the marathon trials winners? I mean, I don't even know. I don't, I don't know who the three men and three women are. Um, in terms of like, 
I literally didn't see who 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 got the top three spots for the men. Don't care. Um, I saw that that uh, what's his face Galen Rupp did not have a good day. I'm kind of happy with that. Um, I saw the list of the women that were the top three somewhere. Didn't recognize a single name. So I, who cares? Uh, personal running question: Should us run streakers relegate use of the treadmill to one day per week? I mean, I I don't know why. If you want to, yeah, sure. If not, I don't know why you would need to. Um, you know, whatever, whatever works best for you, I guess, you know, if, if I don't, I don't, there's no reason to feel like you need to run in the treadmill once a week. There's no reason to, unless you want to, or unless you're Thessaly and you're like, I'll just run on the treadmill every single day. Ridiculous. Uh, final question from Lewis. What are your thoughts on former running channel host and current runner's world editor, Kate Carter race banditing last year's London marathon and being caught by Derek Murphy? Um, I mean, I hadn't heard about that. Don't care about that, but I think it's hilarious. Um, like runner's world, such a trash magazine these days anyway, like it's just bad. Um, and then you're, uh, is she like chief editor? I like, I don't know who she is, whatever. Um, but if, if like good, I'm glad she got caught good, good on Derek for doing the Lord's work and catching some people, especially high profile people. And, uh, hopefully, um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't want her to like lose her job. I don't want her to be, you know, whatever, but like, that's just dumb. Like if you're the editor, even if you're not like the head editor, but you're, you're somebody high enough up and, and, and known enough that you were the host of the running channel, you're a, a runner's world person. Um, I mean, you could, you could have gotten a bib somewhere, right? Like somebody, you could have, you could have call, called in a favor somewhere. You're like, no, I'll just go run it get out of here. You deserve to get, you deserve to get busted. You deserve to be embarrassed. I hope she's embarrassed. Um, but again, I'm not saying she needs to lose her job. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not life's too short for that. Like, like you should be, you should be embarrassed. She should be embarrassed. Um, but I don't even know who she is. So it doesn't matter. Uh, next up question from Andy question on pacers in a large half marathon with about 10,000 runners. Are they supposed to pace gun time or the time the corral their sign represents? My thought is to pace the corral's runner's time, but I saw the 240 pacer pass and finish well ahead of me, which would align with the gun time. My chip time was 236. My gun time was 246. Am I missing something in the role of the pacers? Could have just been a mistake by this pacer. Is this something worth commenting on in the post-race survey? I wouldn't I wouldn't comment on it um, because there's a, there's a bunch of scenarios that I can see, Andy, or at least I can, I can hypothetically see um, that, that could line up with that. So... Um, chief among them was like, perhaps the pacer had to stop and use the bathroom. Right. And so the group got ahead of him a little bit and got ahead of you. And so then the pacer was running to catch up. Um, also in a bigger, in some big races, and I don't know what the race was that you were running and I don't know the, the exact situation, but sometimes if it's a big enough race, there will be multiple pace groups for each pace time. So this guy was pacing two forty, right? Um, there could have been two or three different 240 pace groups. There could have been one group that was you know, like a run walk. There could have been one group that was, um, you know, running straight through. Um, there, there could have been a couple groups that were run walk of different different intervals. You know, where one group is doing a 10 minute run, one minute walk. One group's doing a five minute and and one minute. So again, with a big enough race, um, it's not uncommon to have multiple groups, multiple pacing groups, and also depending on how the corrals are aligned, it's not uncommon to have multiple pace groups 
or have you split the pace groups between two different corrals. So maybe, you know, corral A and corral B, um, like towards the later half of, of that cutoff, you'd put the first, you know, 240, which it wouldn't be corral A and corral B, but just to try to, to d- demonstrate the point. Maybe the difference, maybe the, the line um, for qualifying times or for assigning the corrals was two two hours and 45 minutes, right? So maybe the 240 pacer, um, maybe there's a 240 pace group in the in the early corral for people who are who qualified at just under 245 um, to, to pace them there. But maybe there was one in the in the group that's above um, 245 to help you know anybody who wanted to push ahead a little bit, but they couldn't get into the, the different corral that type of scenario. So there there very well could have been multiple pacers. There could have been a bathroom stop. Um, there, there could have been a whole host of reasons. But but yes, in general. The pace, the, the goal of the pacer is to run, um, not even gun time or corral time, but to run, um, chip time. So like the, the, the time that they cross the starting mat to the time that they finish the, this, you know, cross the finishing mat, they want to be right at, you know, in this case two two thirty nine fifty or something like that. They want to be as close to two forty as possible without going over. Um, but there are multiple reasons that that could have gone a little bit sideways. Maybe the pacer got injured, um, and so somebody else took over for him, you know, somebody else with the pace group. Um, and then they were running to catch up with, with the group itself. You know, I, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of, bunch of scenarios that came out. Something, something was a little bit off, but I don't think it was like, like they didn't misjudge the pace that much. Probably. Um, it was just probably some logistical thing. And, and, and without, with you not knowing the situation, I definitely wouldn't comment on it post race because you don't know what was going on. Um, and if there was some major mistake, like the pacer already, like they already, the race knows, right? They don't need some, some random person. And I don't mean you, you being some random, but I do mean you being some random person. You weren't part of that pace group. They don't need you trying to chime in and be like, I don't know. I don't know what this pace guy was doing. Well, like th- they know, they know they're aware if there was a major problem. So, um, but yeah, typically they're going to try to run pretty even, um, based on the course. So something was a little bit off, but there's a lot of very, I feel like there's, there's several, scenarios that could have been in play that would all explain what was going on. Maybe why trying to catch up, um, that type of scenario. So thanks for the question, Andy. Hope you hope that your race went well though. Hope you're, you're, you're good with your two thirty six. Um, next up from Thessaly from the, from the treadmill, what makes you consider one race over another cost reviews, location, all controllable factors being equal. What race would you like to do next? So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really, I don't really consider races, <laughs> which is ridiculous because I should be, I should be considering some races. Um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't considered a race in in years, really. Um, I, I it's probably location convenience is really what it is. So, if I'm going to be in an area and there happens to be a race there, then then I'll consider it, right? Um, I'm not. I mean, I, I theoretically want to travel, but in practice, I don't want to travel. I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want the hassle of going places. I don't want the hassle of, of doing things. Um, I don't care about reviews. Like unless, unless, unless it's well known to be a, a shit show, like I don't care, you know, whatever. Um, cost is certainly a factor. You know, I'm not going to, not going to try to throw down a thousand dollars for a, a race. Not that I know of any thousand dollar races, but like, you know, like outside of Boston, like I'm not going to spend hundreds of dollars for a marathon, like a hundred dollars. Sure. You know, whatever, 150 probably. Um, so cost is a little bit of a factor, but reviews, I don't care. Location probably matters, but it's mostly like, is it, is it convenient for me? Um, that's, that's the big thing. 
Um, all factors being equal, what what race would you like to do? I don't even know. I I, I literally don't have an answer. Um, some 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 race in a state I haven't run yet, which which gives me forty forty states worth of op- opportunities. Um, but like I don't have th- there are zero races on my I really want to run list right now. Like zero. I, w- I would like to run a race, I suppose. Um, but I don't, I, yeah, it's, I'm never going to get to 50 States because, because clearly I'm never going to get to 50 States. It's just not going to happen. Um, anyway, thanks for, thanks for that depressing question there, Thessaly. Uh, next up, another question from Thessaly. When I started running question number two, when I started running, I was not super particular about my shoes. Then I found the perfect pair but then I couldn't find them and the newer versions were different and I became pretty anxious about not being as good of a runner without my normal shoes. Since then I've become accustomed to rotating different brands, models, different types of shoes. My question is what is your experience with shoe brand and model rotation? Do you tend to always wear the same make and model or do you rotate? What do you advise your clients to do? So, yeah, I mean, my, my experience is a lot like yours and I'm pretty sure it's a lot like just about everybody's and that whenever you find a shoe, that's good. Um, just wait until the next model and, and that shoe won't be good anymore. Um, nothing, nothing is more frustrating than these shoe companies being like, Hey, we've got a really good shoe. We've got a really popular shoe. Let's screw it all up. Yet. They all seem to do it. Ultra ultra does it all the time. Ultra's made some great shoes. They've got a bunch of crap shoes right now. Um, but that's a whole politics thing that I don't need to get into here, but yes, like there's been several varieties of ultras that I thought were just about perfect. And uh, either they just decide to discontinue them because why continue to make a shoe that people like, or they've decided to do the same thing. Here's an updated. Here's here's the the, the 3.0 version um, that's way worse than the 2.0 version that was slightly worse than the 1.0 version. Um, so I don't know. I I don't know why they you know whatever capitalism I guess. And I'm not even like an anti-capitalist, but it's just absolutely ridiculous. So, so yeah, I kind of rotate. Um, I think I've said this before, but uh, I'll, I'll put myself on blast here. I am fortunate enough that I haven't bought running shoes in like six or seven years. Um, because I write reviews for, and I'll even give them a free plug. I write reviews for running shoe Um, and so they've, they've bought all of my shoes road and trail for the last five, six, seven years, something like that. Um, I write the review, I get to keep the shoe. And so, so ultimately that means that I rotate because I'm not getting three and four and five pairs of the same shoe. Um, I might get every, every model, you know, that comes out every, every new year. Um, but I'm always kind of wearing what they've sent me. Um, as long as they work for me, right. You know, I've had a couple of shoes that haven't worked real well for me. So I wear them for the 50 or 60 miles to write my review. And then I never wear them again. Uh, but outside of that, you know, I, I'll, you know, I wear them, wear them out. Um, and by the time I'm, I'm in the market for a new shoe, I usually have a new shoe to review. And so, you know, but it also means it's a different model. Sometimes it's a different, it's a different brand completely. Although I tend to get mostly ultras. So I hat tip to them for, for hooking me up. Um, but yeah, in terms of advising, advising other folks, I mean, it's, it's, you can't get in this day and age, you can't get too, um, caught up on the, the, the perfect shoe because it's just, it is going to, it's going to change, right? The shoe model is going to change. Um, so having something, you know, having a couple different options that work for you, um, is probably a good idea. Um, 
because because yeah like like there's there's last thing you want to do is get in your head about like oh gosh like you know the 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 14 is worse than the 13 or whatever yeah the 14 is worse than the 13 and now what am i going to do like you're gonna you're gonna do the best you can right so so just try not to get too high about it um or too too not too high or too low about the perfect shoe because you know the next model is not going to be as good or or it might be better but it's not gonna be the same i guess is what's gonna how that's gonna shake out but thank you for the questions lady hope the treadmill's not too boring today next up another treadmill question this one from north of the border uh, Mr. Walker asks, should speed intervals on a treadmill be run faster than when outside? I find treadmill sprinting much easier. So going faster seems logical. Um, sure. I guess. So here's, here's my take on that question, Brian. Um, which since you asked me the question, I suppose my take is what you want. Um, speed. I, I never trust the speed on a treadmill, right? Especially if it's, if it's like a gym treadmill, if it's, if it's, I'm not using the same treadmill every time. I mean, not that I run on the treadmill, so there's that. But but I wouldn't trust the speed. Um, so if if you know if you're if you're normal pace outside, and I know you speak kilometers, and I don't do good good on the spot time conversions on the kilometers, but let's say let's say you repeat for a kilometer, you know your your repeat speed for uh, outside would be you know whatever four four minutes per kilometer, which I think is moderately fast, probably not as fast as you're talking, but something like that, right? Four four minute kilometer for a speed interval. And inside on the treadmill, maybe the same level of effort says that you need to be running, you know, on the treadmill is, is whatever three, three, uh, I guess it'd be the other way. It'd be five. No, it'd be whatever. It would be faster. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're running faster. It could just mean that, that the, the calibration of the treadmill is off. Um, which, which is ultimately, this is my, this is my advice for any repeat inside, outside, upside down. Doesn't matter. Run it on effort. Run on effort. Because then the second part of your question, I find treadmill sprinting much easier. So going faster seems logical. Well, yeah. If it's if it's easier for whatever reason, then crank the speed up to get the effort where we want it. We want your, your effort to be hard, right? Whatever the speed is, make the effort. So, so judge it by the effort versus the speed. Treadmill, outside, hills, heat, cold, whatever. Um, anytime you're doing speed work, make it... I, I am a proponent of effort-based, but I'm also a proponent of effort based in terms of easy runs, right? So easy runs are easy. Hard runs are hard. A speed interval session. That's a hard run, run them hard. Um, and don't worry about the, don't worry about the exact details. Don't worry about the exact details so much. Next up from Michaela thoughts on rucking as a cross training activity. Any tips to get started? Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's great. I ruck just about every day. Um, nothing like massive, but like when I take the dogs for a walk nine times out of 10, I've got my rucksack on. Um, tips to get started. I mean, start with just a little bit of weight, right? Like I think I started with, with like maybe 10 pounds, which seems really light. I mean, it is, it's not a ton, but like you put that 10 pounds in your, in your pack. Um, and you notice it, right? Like it's just, it's just enough that you notice it. Um, I'm up to 35 now. I don't really think I'll, I'll keep upping the ante from there, but it took me several months to get from 10 or 12, wherever I started up to 35. Um, I probably didn't stay at 10 very long, but I think when I got up to like 20, I stayed there for a while. And then I think I bumped it up to like maybe 25, um, and then finally up to 35. So, uh, progress slowly. Um, you'll feel it in your hips. You'll feel it in your, in your shoulders and your back. Um, but it's, it's a great way to, to up the intensity a little bit. It's a great way to build some core strength and stability. Um, I like it. I like it for sure. For sure. So, so I'm all on board. 
Um, I don't have, you know, I don't know that you need to necessarily get a proper rucking backpack um, until you want to start getting heavier, right? Like you can probably get away with just any type of, of decent backpack for like five pounds, 10 pounds. Um, but I, I dropped some coin on a, on a proper rucksack when I started getting up very high because I just didn't want, A, I didn't want like to damage a good backpack, like a good day-to-day backpack. Um, but I also like the thought of like a 30 pound weight coming through my backpack and clipping, you know, my heel landing on my Achilles tendon. Um, yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. Right. So I'd rather spend the, whatever I spent on 125, $150, something like that on a good pack. That's like super reinforced. It's designed for it. Um, that I have a pretty decent amount of trust in is not going to fail versus my other backpack. That's a good backpack, but like, it's not designed to carry a 35 pound weight plate. Right. So, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, if you, if you're going to be like, you don't necessarily start there, but if you're going to take it to, you know, be, if it's going to be a, a regular part of your training diet going forward, uh, at some point might be worth investing in a good, a good rucksack. Um, next up from Michaela, if you don't care about the elites, why do you read their books? Quite honestly, only cause of book club. Um, and, and you know, I don't, I don't care about the elites. I do not at all care about the elites. Um, but you know, having, having a little bit of nudge towards reading some of their books and, and book club. Um, I've enjoyed some of them. I really have. I enjoyed the, the Kara Goucher book. I enjoyed Des Linden's book. Um, several others that, that I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Lauren Fleshman's book was okay. You know, I'm glad we read it. I would have picked up none of those books. Um, left to my own devices. So, um, you know, I enjoyed reading them, but I don't still don't care about them. Um, and I, and, and even though I've enjoyed reading them, like I wouldn't read one of their books just because like, if we're not reading it for book club, I'm probably not reading it. Um, next up from Sarah, a couple of, of training volume questions related here, uh, as a five day a week runner, considering upping to six days a week, would off season with reduced volume be a good time to do this? It could be, it could be, um, Depending on how much you're planning to reduce your volume, if you go up to six days, you might not reduce your volume as much, but you'll spread it out over a sixth day instead of a fifth day. Um, but it would probably be a good time to it, to introduce your body to, to losing that extra rest day just because you're not trying to do it while also like really pushing the volume. So it's, it's probably not a bad time to, to do that. Yeah. Is six days materially better than five? I, I mean, no but it's also not materially worse than five. Like it depends on what you're going for here. You know, it depends on what fits your life. Um, there's, there's no, you know, like, I mean, that's like saying is are is broccoli materially better than Brussels sprouts? I mean, like, no, they're both, they're both from the same family of vegetable. Right. Um, if you like them both, eat them both. If you like one more than the other, eat one more than the other. Right. Like, like, no, like there's nothing materially better about six days than five. Um, there's probably nothing materially better than five versus four, but at some point, you know, if you're going to keep your volume where it is, or maybe even up in your volume just a little bit, the extra day becomes useful and, and, you know, squeezing in the, the miles without having to go long multiple times. Um, but no, I mean, there's, there's nothing magical. It's not like you're going to be like, Oh God, I'm, I'm running six days a week now. And I've, you know, knocked 40 minutes off my, my PR like, no. No, no, no. It's, it's, you know, 
five and a half of one and six and a quarter of the other. Like, like one might be, maybe that extra day just gives you a little bit more training stimulus. Um, but assuming the mileage is about the same, you know, if you're running 30 miles in five days a week or 30 miles in, or 32 miles in six days a week, like it's a couple more miles. It might, it might, you know, pay off down the road, but it's not like, you know, it's not like, no, they're, they're not materially better than the other. Um, where might you slot the one rest day in this scenario? I mean, it depends, you know, it depends. Um, what's, what's your life schedule like? You know, is there, is there a day per week when life is just a little bit crazy? Well then make that your rest day. You know, um, maybe you want your rest day before your long run. Maybe you want your rest day after your long run. Um, you know, it's, it's, you do you boo, uh, whatever, whatever works best for, for how your body feels, how, how you're fitting your training into your life. Um, you know, put that, put that rest day where it makes the most sense to you. Um, cause, cause I could, I could literally make an argument for any of the seven days. <laughs> like, like there's, there is no one day that would make the most sense. It just depends. It depends on what you're training for. It depends. It depends on so many things. Um, so chug a log y'all, but sorry, blame Sarah for this one. Not Jer- Jerry Joe. Wasn't his fault this time yet. We haven't gotten to his questions. It might be his fault later, but, uh, Sarah is making us everybody drink this time. Okay, another question from Sarah. Somewhat related. How long should an off-season be, and how is it different than base building? Um, yeah, I think I think off-season and base building can be very, very... There's a lot of overlap there. I think they can be very similar. Um, I think I use those changes, those, those terminologies, relatively interchangeably. Um, theoretically, I mean, an off-season could be a, like a don't-run period. And it might only, in that case, it might only be a couple weeks or a month, you know, depending on, again, depending on your goals, depending on how you're feeling, you know, if you're, if you're a little bit kind of fatigued mentally, if you're a little bit burned out, take a longer off season, don't run for six weeks or something like that, especially, you know, where it might fit best into your training schedule. Um, I've got a couple of athletes I coach or one in particular that we're going to try to take a little bit more of an off season in the summer because she just doesn't enjoy the heat. Doesn't, doesn't, you know, like struggles to run in the heat. So we're going to take a little bit more of a, of an off season in the summertime. Now, we might be doing some base building, might be doing more, more cycling or some swimming or things like that. Maybe, maybe some other type of activity. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe you plan it for the the hottest six weeks of the year, depending on where you live. You know, like, like there's overlap there though. Um, because, and when you come out of your off season, you're going to be focused on base building. So maybe you may do some base maintaining during the, during your quote unquote off season. But I think the big thing is to just dial back the intensity, right? Maybe you dial back the volume a little bit, um, for the off season and then you put the volume back up, but you keep the intensity pretty minimal during base building. Um, but there's, there's a lot of semantic distinctions there, Sarah. Um, and if, if, if you blur the lines a bit, it's okay. It's okay. Um, and I'm sure that wasn't a very good answer, but that's one of those that like, there's, there's a lot of, it depends there as well. Where do quality workouts fit with regard to off season and or base building? Um, by quality, do you mean speed? Uh, cause, cause I would say that those don't really fit in an off season and, and, and really in a base building period. Um, if we're talking about just good, solid, you know, solid miles in terms of, of keeping it at low intensity, easy-ish running, um, then they can fit in there anywhere. But, um, you know, in the, in the off season, like if you're taking a proper off season, if you're really kind of pulling back and taking a break and you're talking about hard workouts being quality workouts, like I wouldn't, I no, no reason to, no reason to you're in an off season. And if you're focused on building the base, well, you're not going to go out and hammer a bunch of repeats during the base building period because you're building the base, right? You're, you're building that, 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 
um, platform on which to, to then launch off of with the harder workouts. So, um, as I would understand your question, which I may be missing the boat, but as I would under understand your question, I wouldn't do really any hard workouts during the off season. And, and so they're not in the early part of the base building. Maybe you get a little bit longer into it. Maybe, maybe you start mixing them in. Although I would also could make the argument that like, I'm always, I'm, I'm base building 365 days a year. Maybe it's cause I'm always in the off season too. Maybe, maybe there's some coordination there. Um, you know, so once you have a good solid base, you can mix in a couple of hard workouts here and there. Um, uh, but if you're really in a focused, you know, six or eight week block of, we're just, we're just building base here. Um, then build the base and let's save save the, the harder workouts for, for after that block. Right. Hope all that helps and makes a little bit of sense. Sarah, thank you for the questions. Oh boy. And I say this, Oh boy, not because it's just a melody question. Sometimes melody gets, gets an, Oh boy, just because like, Oh, melody this time, this is a, this is a hard question to answer. Um, I will do my best. So, Oh boy. Good luck. Good luck to me. Thank you for the question, Melody. Um, since glycogen is formed, she asks, by consuming carbohydrates, and glycogen is an important energy source for runners, can you follow a low-carb, high-protein diet as a runner? Everything I'm reading says carbohydrates are necessary to support your needs as a runner. Is running fat adapted a way to follow a low-carb, high-protein diet and still have sufficient energy to do your run and strength training workouts? I read that burning fat instead of glucose leads to elevated ketones, which can give you more energy. The more I read, the more complicated it sounds and, frankly, overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is, I've been seeing a lot of posts about how bad for you it is to, to, to go low carb as an athlete. And this, this might be a spoiler alert for, for something that I'm going to talk about maybe even next week in the quick tip. Like it's two things can be true at the same time, right? Your body needs carbohydrates. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. When you're fat adapted, you still burn glycogen. You still burn carbohydrate. Yes. Yes, you do. Your body can break down fats and proteins into carbohydrate. Dietary fats can be turned into carbohydrate. Um, it's more of a process, right? It's not as simple as like if, if you take in, you know, if you, if you eat a piece of fruit, of course, you, you get a bunch of carbohydrates right there, right? Um, if, if you eat a candy bar, you get a bunch of carbohydrate. It's pretty easy for your body to, 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 to utilize that, right? If you, if you eat more, more low carb diet, um, your body has to work a little bit harder to, to create some carbohydrates within your body. Yes. You also create ketones, but if you go, if you go very, very low carb, but I think, I think maybe one of the things that's most frustrating here and not about your question, cause I think your question is a great question, Melody, and probably something that that is worth a much longer dive than what I'm going to give it today. Um, but what, what even does low carb mean? Right. Um, and I say this as a recovering low carb advocate, right? Like, like I'm still low carb. I still don't eat a lot of carbs, certainly compared to, um, a lot of runners, probably compared to a lot of, a lot of y'all. Um, I eat relatively low carb diet. Um, I eat a lot more carbs now than I did three years ago, you know? Um, but, but like what, what even like, that's, that's one thing I struggle with where you, where you see these, these tweets, um, some of them from just schmuck influencers that don't have a damn clue what they're talking about. Some from people that are, that are legitimate, you know, looking at the science, looking at the physiology, um, that understand science and understand physiology. And they're like, yeah, low carb, like you can't run on a low carb diet. Well, yeah, yeah, you can, I can. Right. And so, so maybe I'm an N equals one. Maybe I'm the unicorn. I'm, I'm not, but maybe I am. 
But then to say you can't you can't run well on a low carb diet, you can't run well fasted. Well, bu- bullshit. Yeah, I can, I can. So I've just disproven that, right? Now maybe I'm outside the bell curve, right? Maybe I'm the minority, but you can't. So so I and and again, maybe this is where we we need to dive into this a little bit more specifically or or something like that. Um, but like like it's a process, right? And and so um, yes, carbs are important, and when you're running. And, and here's another thing that's, that's, that's on the same topic, like consuming carbs in your day to day diet versus consuming carbs right before or during activity. Like, I don't want to say it's completely different, but it's kind of completely different, right? Like, like when you're just the way your body breaks things down, things like that, like it's, it's, there's, there's some different situations going on there that, that, that is, is nuanced and it's layered and it's not black and white. And so it just gets dismissed by the talking heads, whether they're the, the, the decent talking heads or the BS artist talking heads. Um, and sometimes there's a lot of overlap between those two camps, in my opinion, as well. So, so all that said, like, can you still run well? Can you still get your energy sources on a low-carb diet? Yeah. But it also means that you got to slow down and really embrace heart rate training because – because otherwise you burn through your, the carbs that you do have much quicker. You know, that's, that's part of fat adapt, fat adaptation. That's part of, of, uh, you know, one of the, even if that's not a primary goal of heart rate training, that's one of the, certainly one of the benefits, side benefits of heart rate training is that you start to become more efficient at metabolizing fats, um, stored body fat, which then you can, you can use that. You're still going to use some carbs, right? Like the process of metabolizing body fat still requires some carbohydrate sources. Um, so again, it's layered, but, um, it's layered and it's complicated, but you can, you can absolutely have, you know, you, like, like, I mean, I'm running better than I, than I ever have, um, or whatever, maybe not ever better than I ever have, but the, the last five or six years of my running, I've been the best years of my running ever, uh, hands down. Also, the last five or six years of running, I've been doing heart rate training. Also, the last five or six years of running, I've been on some some level of low carbohydrate diet, right? Um, are they all causational? No, probably not. Maybe they are. Um, is there a link between all of them? I mean, I think so, to some degree or another. I think heart rate training is the, is the linchpin for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like. Carbs are not the devil, but carbs are also not like, oh my God, if you, if you just eat carbs, you're going to be the best runner. Ever. Like, no, it's not, that's not how it works either. So, um, it's layered. It's, it is complicated. Um, try not to get bogged down in the details, listen to your body. Um, but if you're going to go to some type of lower carb and, and again, what is low carb? Like, like maybe you're still eating a couple hundred grams of carbs a day, which, which some would not classify that as low carb. Some would be like, oh my God, like, how do you not function without eating 800 carbs a day? Right. Um, but if you're going to, if you're, if you're monitoring carbohydrate intake for, for any type of reason, whether it's medical performance, whatever, um, just be, be aware that you might need to, to decrease intensity for, uh, for a long time, you know, like, like a long time, like months, like three months, four months, five months, six months, um, because that might be how long it takes your body to start to become more efficient at, um, breaking down body fat for fuel, as opposed to just relying on 
predominantly, not just predominantly re- relying on carbohydrates. Um, but also remember that like, even if you're, even if you're burning hundred percent carbohydrate, which most of us aren't, even if you're not very much fat adapted, most of us are still, I mean, it might be a high percentage, but it's probably not like, like 90 plus, but probably not a hundred. Um, you're still got plenty of stored carbohydrate, even on a low carb diet, you still have plenty of stored, plenty of, of, of carbohydrate in your glycogen, in your blood to go for 90 minutes, two hours. Um, so, so just keep that in mind too. Like, again, it's layered, but all this like, oh my God, you need to eat 47 carbs as soon as you start running or else you're going to bonk. It's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Whew, thanks for getting me riled up, Melody. Um, like I said, maybe maybe we'll get ranty diz in a quick tip episode so- soon. Um, but if we do, you better put the better put the earmuffs on the kids because, whew, and I'm eyeballing ranty diz next week. So we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, thank you for the questions, Melody. Uh, next up from Andre, uh, how should runners approach colder races? Should expectations be lower? Uh, and again, you know, this is one of those those as well where like, what what do we mean by colder? You know. Like, are we talking about like sub freezing? Are we talking about temperatures in the forties? Are we talking about, you know, if you're from a tropical location, temperature in the sixties might be, uh, considered colder. Um, I mean, in theory, according to, according to various physiologists, you know, uh, temperature in the low forties is the ideal racing environment in terms of, you know, there's no ice, there's no, nothing like that. Um, but it's cold enough that like, you're, you're really not likely to have heat related issues in terms of overheating and, and having to to tamper, um, you know, to, to temper, I guess, to, to, to restrain your, your effort based on overheating factors. So I would consider a 40 degree race start a colder race. Uh, but theoretically then maybe even, even though I would consider that colder expectations might actually be higher because you don't have to, you know, you're taking heat issues off the equation or pretty much off the equation. Uh, but some folks that really struggle with it being, you know, in the forties, um, yeah, maybe their expectations would be lower. So it kind of depends on, on exactly what you mean by colder. Um, also, like, is it just cold at the start, but does it warm up as the race goes? Is it a shorter race where, you know, basically the temperature at the start is going to be the temperature at the finish, in which case maybe your warm-up needs to be l- longer? Um, you know, there's there's a lot of variables that play here to, to kind of help counteract it. Um, I mean, how do, you, how do you dress? Do you, you know, dress in layers, of course. Um, but again, if it's a shorter race, you might not ever need to shed a layer. If it's a longer race, you know, you might have to have a couple of throwaway layers or at least, you know, know somebody out there. You have, if you have a spectator, you can drop off some clothes as you go. Um, there's a little bit of extra planning that goes into a colder race for sure. Um, but I don't think that very often you need to, to, to temper expectations. In fact, I mean, you know, I've PR'd, I, I, my, my half marathon PR was in a race where it was, I think 35, 36 degrees. Um, little chilly at the start, but once we got going, I I mean, I ran well, you know, um, now was it, did I run well? Cause I was in shape. Did I run well? Cause it was cold. I mean, both and right. So, so no, I don't think you need to temper expectations unless it's like, you know, if it's really cold, if it's sub zero Fahrenheit, um, then maybe that's going to be a factor. If there's ice that you need to be careful for, of course, that's going to be a factor. Um, but just kind of cold, but above freezing, you can probably run pretty well in those, in those conditions. Um, as long as, you know, and I don't, I, I mean this in the nicest way, as long as you're not a baby about it being kind of chilly, right? Like, yes, it's going to be cold, but wear, wear some gloves, wear a couple layers, get out there and crush. So good luck to you, Andre. And thank you for the question. I think it's Andre. Is it Andres? Andre? Andre. We're going to go with Andre. Thank you for the question, my friend. Uh, next up from Rob. Good to, for those that don't know, I'm going to, I'm just going to take the liberty because Rob did share a big post in the, in the Facebook group. So it's, it's at least public within our, our group. Um, and I, I got a feeling that a couple of folks that aren't in the Facebook group might want to know this as well. 
Um, or it might be just appreciate the, the heads up. And it also kind of continues with, with Rob's question. But um, our friend Rob Jones uh, was was found to have a brain tumor recently. Um, thankfully, it sounds like things are going very well. Uh, had surgery to remove the tumor and on the next phase of his recovery now. Um, but uh, he, he shared that in the group. And so just for those that are listening that won't necessarily know exactly what we're talking about when I get into the final part of his question... Uh, that's the scenario. So if you're if you're the praying type, you know, lift up lift up Rob Jones. He's been a, a active part of our group for a while. He seems to ask questions just about every month. Um, I think he's done one or two Friday fives when I was out of town. So he's he's carried the mantle, um, and we're cheering for you, buddy. And glad that glad that so far things seem to be going really really well. Uh, but Rob's question: I have had a crazy intense calf pain for a few days. I actually brought out the foam roller, which relieved the pain, but it continues to return. Would it be beneficial to add ice or heat to the mix? Um. I mean, it could be, it could be, it, it kind of, de- I don't want to say it depends again, because we, we don't want to, we don't want to get people too, uh, too off the deep end here. Um, sometimes those things help. Sometimes they don't play with it. See what happens, you know, uh, depending on what's going on in terms of it's a circulation issue, if it's a spasm issue, things like that. Um, heat could help. Ice could help. Um, some people react to better to one than to the other. Um, sometimes a little bit of contrast could help, you know, where you go with heat for a little bit and then ice for a little bit. Um, it's kind of one of those things you just kind of got to play with and see what really works for you. Um, and, and also, you know, talking with, with the folks that are in, in close contact with you in terms of your recovery right now. Um, and just, just see what, what, you know, there may be something related to the surgery or any medications that you're on that would contradict or that would contraindicate that would say, you know, heat is not good or ice is not good. Um, so, so, you know, instead of, instead of leaning on me for the answer for this one, Rob, I'd, I'd ask your medical team right now. Um, your oncology team, just, just to make sure I'm assuming that probably either or both of those are not going to be a problem, but that's me assuming, ask them. All right. Ask, ask the, ask your team right now. Um, you know, and, and maybe there's, maybe there's something that, that they're aware of, um, that, that I'm certainly not. And so, so re- rely on them right now, Rob, uh, more than some schmuck with a podcast and a microphone, but continuing with Rob's, uh, not so much of a question, but just wanted to share this with the, with the group as well. Um, he says, also, I am continuously amazed by the community you have created and continue to create after the recent outreach and my support, my wife, who is, who is a non-runner has witnessed this through my in-person local and internet running groups. And she and several family members now want to join me on my journey to return to running before they thought I was just weird, but now everyone has, everyone has convinced them. It's a great thing to be a part of, meaning the the running community has convinced his non-running friends and family. Um, he, he continues as we are eyeing, um, as we are eyeing a, a walk run 5k in May, I was aiming for a 10 miler, but I'll settle for the 5k to encourage those that encourage and support me. So he says, thank you so much. So Rob, once again, um, man, so, so glad that things have, have progressed as well as they have in the last couple weeks. Um, and, and I know that there's a lot of people in the, in the group that are cheering for you. Um, praying folks are praying for you. Incense folks are lighting incense for you. Um, you know, good vibe. People are sending good vibes for you. Uh, keep us posted, buddy. But, uh, but, but it's, I'm, you know, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little verklempt here to think that, that this little, little group community thing that we have here, um, where it's a lot of nonsense memes and tomfoolery can, can make a difference and and impact not only you with, with our support, but, you know, maybe impact your wife and, and some of your family a little bit. Um, that's awesome. 
that's awesome. But continued continued healing, and uh, can't wait to 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 cheer you on from afar uh, for the five k in May and and whatever other races are coming up in your in your not too distant future. Um, but uh, I love you, brother. Thanks so much, and uh, keep taking care of yourself. Right. Uh, next up. From that that note, we're going to shift to the the Tom trifecta. Three questions from Western New York. First question from Tom. Uh, both the U.S. Olympic trials and the Pro Bowl were in Orlando on the same weekend. If you could only choose to see one of these events, why would you choose the Olympic trials? Um, I mean, I really wouldn't care to see either of them. Um, I mean, I didn't watch the Olympic trials on TV. Um, but I would, I, I mean, if I had to choose one or the other, like, yeah, the pro bowl is nonsense. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to the NFL pro bowl. I mean, you could pay me to go for the Olympic to the, to the pro bowl. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay you two cents to go to the, to the pro bowl myself. Um, but I don't know that I really want to go watch the Olympic trials either. Like, I mean, it's, it's not, not that like, I just don't care. (laughs) You know, I just don't care. Um, so yeah, I would choose the Olympic trials by default only because the pro bowl is terrible, terrible, um, nonsense. Next question from Tom last summer, I signed up for a winter marathon. What was I thinking? Training through the winter here in Western New York is challenging to unpleasant on some days. Uh, but that it kind of ties into Tom's next question. So we'll just do them both at the same time. Well, the answer is that I am blessed to have an entry into the Tokyo marathon. So that's, you sign up for a, you were thinking that you were going to run a world major Tom. Like that's, that's, that's why you signed up for a winter marathon. Um, though I want to, I want to come back to that in just a second. He says, this is the only world major that runs in the winter. Do you think that this fair is a fair challenge to runners? I'm not really put out too much, but this does mean a lot of really dark mornings and a few missed training runs due to weather. Um, Tom, you do realize, right. That like, it's not winter everywhere in the world right now. Right. Like, like you do realize that February for the, for the, uh, or whatever, March for the Tokyo marathon is not winter everywhere. Now I understand that that Japan I, I understand geography well fairly well world geography not quite as well as American geography uh, but I, I have a pretty good grasp of of world geography and I understand that Japan is not in the southern southern hemisphere so it's not a summer race per se but I also understand that it's not like the same parallel level you know it's not it's not uh, the same winter in Tokyo in February and March as it is in Buffalo in February and March. Um, so it's just, I just think it's huge. Like, do you think it's fair to challenge runners to, to train for a race in the wintertime? Well, like the people, the people that are that I mean, to, again, it's a world major, right? So like there's people in South America that are training for, um, that, that are training for the Tokyo marathon in the dead of summer. Is it fair to them that they have to train in the summer to run a summer marathon? Like, you know, is it fair to them that they have to train in the winter to run the Chicago marathon in our fall? Um, is it fair to America? Is it fair to people that live in Florida to train for the Chicago marathon, to train for a summer marathon? That's a world major. Like get out of here with, is it fair? What is fair, Tom? Come on, man. Like, you know, get out there and get your, get your little ice beard going, you know, get your little ice eyelashes going on where you where your, your layers and, and, and slog through the, the ice and the snow. Um, or move to Georgia, come down to Georgia. And it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's 38 here. Um, but there's no snow. And so it's a little easier to train in the winter. Uh, but, but in all, in, in some level of seriousness to your tomfoolery, is it fair question? Is it fair? 
what is there is no fair the, life's not fair um i don't know that there is a perfect time to run a race because of the training that goes into it you know either the, either the weather on race day is going to be good theoretically but the training is going to happen in some summer or some winter or some less than good or you're going to have the race in the dead of summer or the dead of winter but that means you get to train through the spring or train through the fall right like like rather have that decent chance of weather on race day than in the, in the, the training. So suck it up. Buttercup is ultimately what it comes down to and, and have fun in Tokyo. I, I can't wait to hear how the race goes for you. Uh, next up, Jason Dennis, the man with two first names has two questions, two questions from the man with two first names. First one, I'm going for a distance PR or most, most miles I've ever run at one time, which is 35 miles so far. It's at a race in, in uh, mid-March with a last-man-standing format on a one-mile loop around a lake. What are some pro tips or things you've learned about being tenacious to just keep moving? Um, as I understand last-man-standing races, that, that can be an interesting challenge, but it can also maybe make it a lot easier. So as I understand it, if, I, if I'm understanding your question and, and the race that you're running correctly, it's not that you're running 30, you know, going for 35 miles consecutively. And this is an important distinction. Like there's usually like, like, I don't know what the time frame is. Maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, whatever. But like you run the mile, you run your loop, and then you've got a certain amount of downtime until the next lap starts. Right. Uh, Cause that, to me, that's how last, last man standing races go until you can't answer the bell until you either don't finish the loop or you don't start the next loop. Um, you know, that's, that's how that goes. So it's, it's a different dynamic than running, you know, whether it's a timed event, whether it's just an ultra distance event type of thing where there's, there's kind of never really that, that downtime. It's, it's a lot of stop and start. Um, I think the key, and, 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 and you know, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of pro tips on this. I haven't learned a lot about these type of events, but it's kind of finding that balance between resting, but not getting stiff. So maybe you have a foam roller, maybe you have, um, you know, if, if you know, you start every 15 minutes. So after 13 minutes, um, you kind of do a little bit of, of, gentle moving, you know, some leg swings or some things like that to kind of loosen the body back up and start that early. Don't wait until you're 25 miles deep to start that routine. Like start from the beginning, first couple of miles, you start getting to that routine where, you know, maybe you've got 15 minutes before the next lap starts and you, and you run your, your loops in 12 minutes, um, sit down for a minute and then warm back up. Or maybe, you know, the first few loops you're running in 10 minutes, try not to push too much, but you're fresh. So it's going to happen. You sit down for two or three minutes and then you start your little warm up routine before the next lap. Um, with two minutes to go. Um, but in terms of being tenacious and keep moving, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, it, it comes down to sometimes it just comes down to willpower, comes down to grit, comes down to, uh, just that stubborn determination that I'm just going to keep going, you know, like, like, yeah, I'm tired, but like, I can run another mile, right. You can run another mile. You can run another mile. It's only a mile. Um, and just, and just, you know, just make it happen. Just make it happen. Maybe you save some type of music, um, or some type of, some type of, of, entertainment, whether it's, it's this nonsense or another podcast or again, music, whatever. Um, but you, you use that as, you know, don't, don't start with that, but save it for when things start getting a little bit more difficult. Uh, maybe pick up a buddy, you know, pick up a, pick up somebody else that's, that's running, uh, that's about your pace that maybe has a similar ish goal. Um, you know, and if, and if, when it starts to get hard at mile 32, but then, then you've got your buddy going, come on, come on, Jason, let's go. And then when you get to 33 and, 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 he or she is struggling. You'd be like, all right, come on, let's go. Let's go. You got me through the last one. I'll get you through this one and make it the buddy system a little bit. Um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. So maybe that would be the, the best tip is to, to, you know, spend the first couple laps kind of eyeballing everybody else and, and figure out if there's somebody that, that might be a good complimentary figure to help you keep going, 
um, for later in the race. So good luck though. That's, that's, that's a, it's a different challenge to do those last man standing versus, um, even just like a 12 hour race or, or a six hour race or, you know, whatever. So good luck. Good luck. Second question from Jason. What is your favorite ride at Disney world? We have an upcoming family trip there. Oh man. Uh, I mean, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, disclaimers. Uh, I haven't been to Disney since the guardians of the galaxy ride has been open. So that cannot be on my list. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like it, it, de- <laughs> it, it depends on the line, right? Like, like if I stand in line for an hour for something, it's not as good as if I, if I stood in line for 20 minutes for it. Right. Um, same ride, same experience. But if I stand there for an hour, like I, I enjoy it less. Um, not that I try to be impatient and like, I don't mind standing, like go to Disney world. You're going to stand in line a bit. Um, but like, I like soaring a lot. Um, the, the, the avatar ride at, um, at animal kingdom is pretty good. Um, you know, some of the classics like, like, uh, thunder mountain. I enjoy haunted mansion. I enjoy, um, pirates of the Caribbean is a good one. Um, tower of terror, maybe, um, because I don't get to ride it very often. Rebecca doesn't like that one. So, you know, we haven't, we haven't ridden that one in a long time. I wrote it with Addie once, um, when she was like just old enough to get on it before we, we left the sunshine state. So that's, that's a good one. Um, I think that gives you one from every park at least. Uh, but honestly, like my, like, like the rides at Disney are the rides at Disney, right? Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like they're not, they're not a, the attractions, if you will. Like they're not, they're not top notch. Like they're, they're good, but they're not like, you know, there's, there's better roller coasters. There's better, there's better things like that at other parks. Um, I like the sh- I like, you know, hands down the best, the, my favorite thing to do at Disney world is the, the festival of Lion King. Like that show, that show is special. Um, and, and, you know, I worked there for a long time, so I've, I've, I've seen it hundreds of times. I've, I've heard it thousands of times. Um, but that's, if I could only, if I could only be on Disney property for an hour and I could pick one thing to do, we, I'd go see Lion King every single time, every single time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my favorite attraction but I wouldn't call it. I mean, that's a show, right? It's the best. It's it's the best show on property, and it's really not close. Really not close. Uh, but enjoy your trip. Enjoy your trip. Next up from Alex. Question: Ways to motivate a non-runner to enjoy the process of getting started and sticking with it. Um, I mean, I think this one this one kind of bookends well with Michelle's question earlier about her son in the five k. Is just try to make it fun. You know, whether whether the non-runner is is a, a kid, a tween, a, a, an adult. Um, whatever, whatever the relationship it is, whatever the age it is, you know, like, like I didn't like running when I first got into it. I, I would say, don't do what Rebecca did. And, and in case you're not familiar, Alex, Rebecca is my wife. Um, and I think she denies it, but it's, it's fact. Um, we would run when we first started dating and she would run out in front of me and then she'd run back and then she'd run backwards going back again to Michelle's question, run backwards. Well, come on, come on, come on, slow poke. Let's go. Um, that did not, that did not allow me to enjoy the process of getting started with running so much, but she was cute. And, uh, you know, there were, there were other motivations, uh, as you might say. So that's, that's probably why I stuck with it more than, than her nonsense. Um, but, but, uh, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's an eye candy element, you know, maybe, maybe the, the non-runner thinks you're cute. And so, you know, lean into it, (laughs) lean into it for all it's worth. Um, but I think the big thing is to make it fun, you know, and, and, and to not force it. Right. Like let, let, let the person, um, 
find their joy in running somewhat naturally, uh, be encouraging uh, when they when if but probably when they get down on you know on, on whatever on, I'm slow or I can't I, I I can only run you know a half a mile or I need to walk or whatever. Um, remind them that like a almost everybody feels that way and especially when they started right. Um, but B like so what so what plenty of people you know do a run walk and that's that's and and i don't mean this pejoratively of course like i'm i'm pro run walk like pro whatever works for you um but like like there's nothing wrong with that right you're not less than a, of a runner somehow um so so just kind of encourage that type of scenario where it's just like hey this is where we are and then if if they can kind of keep, keep with it um you know maybe maybe 2 weeks 6 weeks 8 weeks down the road you can be like all right, look, you know, remember, remember two months ago when we were first getting started and you were complaining about how slow you were and you know, I had to walk every 30, 30, 30 seconds or every, you know, half a mile or whatever. And now look at us in two months, like your pace is faster. Um, you're feeling stronger. You're, you're, you're running for a mile before you need a walk break or you're, you're running for, for, uh, for whatever it is, like just point out the progress because, because the fact of the matter is, um, when you're new to anything, it's frustrating when you're getting started, but progress, tangible, measurable, observable progress tends to come pretty quickly, right? Like maybe not one day to the next, but, but you know, the, the, the amount of progress that I see in my training in six weeks is not much, right? Um, but when you're, when you're fairly new, you grow a lot in six weeks, right? It's like looking at a baby, you know, how, how much a baby changes from the time they're born to the time they're two months old. It's pretty, pretty, pretty substantial, but you know, me <laughs> at 42, b- between 42 and 42 and two months, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same, it's the same guy. It's the same guy. Um, so, so kind of maybe lean into some of the, 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 the growth, the, the rapid growth, the rapid progress and, and point that out because everybody likes to, I, I think everybody likes to feel like they're making progress, like they're getting better, like they're improving. Um, and yeah, I mean, not, a non-runner as they start getting into it, you know, even if they're not hook, line, and sinker into the sport yet, like if they if they run semi consistently for a month or two, there's going to be some serious progress, and hopefully that's something that they can enjoy and celebrate, and maybe like, well, maybe this maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I should stick with it some more. Uh, but finding ways to make it fun. And again, going back to Michelle's question, I mean, you know, go on, go on an ice cream date afterwards, right? Like like race at the race for like like whatever whatever the person that you're running with again, whether it's a spouse, partner, kid, child, peer, whatever, whatever kind of makes sense. That's going to be fun for them. If you lean into that, you got a chance lean into that. You got a chance last but not least, we got a hat trick of questions from Gary Joe. Uh, first up from the man with, uh, the man with three names, almost three first names, although Collins isn't quite a first name, but if it was Gary Joe Collin, if we, if we trimmed, if we trimmed the S off there, Gary Joe, you'd have three first names. There we go. I, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, first question from Gary Joe. Why am I such a apprehensive fool about registering for a marathon? I missed the registration for the flying pig because, well, I suck. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm apprehensive about registering for marathons too. I was, I was thinking about doing the flying pig. Apparently I missed the registration for that. So apparently I'm not going to, um, no, I mean, I like, honestly, bro, like, like a marathon is a, is a, is like, it's, it's kind of scary, especially when it's your first one. Right. Like, like, and I don't mean this in any sort of way, but like, I'm, I'm at the point now where like a marathon is not that scary. Um, even though 
Jason Dennis tried to convince me to run a marathon in like two weeks. You know, he sent me a text the other day. I was like, bro, I need a little more runway than two weeks. But like, like if push came to shove, like I could go run a marathon in two weeks. It wouldn't be pretty and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, but like I can get it done. Right. But that's because I've run a, a dozen of them. Right. The first one, I wasn't scared of the first one because I was so freaking naive that I didn't know what the heck I was getting myself into. You've been, you've been poking around here enough that you have an idea, which is probably good that you're a little bit scared, that you're a little bit apprehensive. Um, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I, I don't want to say the, it, it's a shit or get off the pot scenario. Um, but to a certain extent, it's never going to not be scary until you do it. Right. So, so finding the right race, finding the, the, the race that's conducive to, to you and, and the family life in terms of training wise, you know, like Tom's question, like, you know, is training through the summer when you when your little girl's, you know, off of school, I know your little girl's not so little anymore, but she's still your little girl, right? When she's, when she's not in, in school for the summer, you know, do you, do you travel? Do you have vacations? Does that get in the way of a fall marathon or an early fall marathon? Um, you know, like, like what works best for the training situation for the, the 16, 18, 20 weeks leading up to it. Um, but I mean, if, you know, it's never, it's never going to not be scary, bro. It's, it's just not, it's just not, um, you know, enough about what you've heard enough conversations about the, the first marathon. You've heard enough stories, um, somewhere it's going great somewhere. It's not, um, I think having a little bit of that, that fear and trepidation is probably a good thing. Cause you'll take your training seriously when it's go time. Um, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, but, but you're, I don't, I don't think you'll ever be in a situation where you're like, all right, I'm going to just go out and crush this. And like, like being able to confidently say like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. It's just, it's just my first marathon. Like, no, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. So I, I would say that it's less that, that you suck and more of you're human. And I mean, being human is, is, I don't, I don't, I don't know if being human is a good thing or not, but it, it, it's a thing. Um, and I, and I don't fault you for being a little bit hesitant about it. Um, I should have been more hesitant for my first marathon and maybe my first marathon story wouldn't have been such a disaster. <laughs> so there's that. So there's that second question from Gary Joe, your heart rate mini series has got me ready to give it a shot. I already run easy 90% of the time. So there you go. You're well on your way. Uh, recommended heart rate strap monitor for a newbie. Um, this is actually a pretty easy question. As far as I'm concerned, if I were to start all over, I would get the polar H10 heart rate strap. Um, the big difference between that one and the other ones on the market. And the reason that, that that's my slam dunk is that you can use it in the pool and not that you're necessarily going to do a lot of pool swimming. Not that I'm going to do a lot of pool swimming, but, um, near as I can tell, it's the only one that I've seen that markets itself for being able to be submerged like 30 meters in, underwater. And if you're swimming laps and you want to keep your, your heart rate, keep an eye on your heart rate, um, you're not going 30 meters deep. So you'll be fine. Um, mine, mine is, is like water resistant in terms of like, I can sweat on it. I can wear it in the rain. It's fine. But like, it can't be submerged. Um, so not that I do much swimming, but like if I were ever to take up more swimming as a cross training activity or underwater running, things like that, um, I can't wear it. I don't know that I would need to wear it. I don't know that you would need to wear it, but like, like I can't see a scenario where the polar H10 at this point would be not an option for any type of training, cross training, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the one thing to be on the lookout for, and I think it's fairly standard these days is that you want it to be both Bluetooth and ANT plus connectivity, connectivity, connective, connectedness. You want it to have the, those two options for connectivity. Um, 
that way, any type of watch, any type of device, um, you'll be good to go. You'll be good to go. It used to be when I first was getting into heart rate training that like straps either connected to your phone or to your watch, but not both. Um, now, most of the new models of, of any, whether it's the Polar, whether it's the Garmin, um, Wahoo, like whatever, um, they, they're probably going to have both ANT, A-N-T, like ant, like antenna. I don't think that's what it stands for, but ANT plus is one designation. Bluetooth is, is the other one. Make sure it's got both and you'll be good to go. But I'd get the, and the, the, for whatever it's worth, and I don't know why the Polar H10 is not one of the most expensive ones. Like there's some that are more expensive. Um, so get, get that one. I think is the option is, is my recommendation for whatever it's worth. No affiliation, no, no sponsor link, no affiliate link. Just get the polar H 10 last but not least, uh, from Gary Joe. last but not least for this month's Q and a episode, uh, mindless shenanigan questions. Some hot shot director wants to shoot a Diz biopic who stars as the man, the myth that is. Um, I mean, I would star, I think like I'm a thespian, bro. Like I was, I was on stage. I was on stage in high school. I mean, lots of pretty much any, no, nobody got cut from the, 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 the school plays. Um, but my, my little claim to fame for whatever it's worth. Um, I was a year behind Tony trucks in high school and you may not know who Tony trucks is, but she's, she's got a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, acting career of her. Uh, she was a regular, she was like, not a regular, like she was in the cast of, uh, the CBS show. I think it was like the Navy seals or something like that. Um, she was in, she's been into some movies. I saw, I saw her, we watched some random movie the other day and I was like, Whoa, there's Tony. Um, so yeah, you know, like our, our, our drama department was legit. So I would, I would star now if we were, if we were going to look for, for actual people to star. Oh, I mean, I don't know. Like I, like I have a man crush on Matthew McConaughey, but I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's enough overlap in that Venn diagram where it would make sense for, for Maddie Mac to be, uh, to, to play me. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some, some young, some young strapping lad, some, some up and comer. Um, we, I don't know who that would be though. I'd have to ask my daughter, right? She'd probably be able to pick somebody out, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I would try to start, I, I would at least be like old man cray, you know, as we, as we get to the, 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 the aged version, it would have to be me. Um, try to get that SAG card, you know, pick up, pick up my, my union card. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll get back to you. If you have, if you have, yeah, who, who should play me? Well, we'll open this one up to, to everybody. That, that's, that's the closing thought here. What did not, now what are your thoughts? What questions did you like? What? No, 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 no. Who plays me in a, in a biopic answer Gary Joe's question on the Twitters, on the social medias, in the comments section, uh, at Diz runs tag at Gary. What's what, what even is Gary Joe's handle? Gary Joe's handle is, um, why does it not show up here? I don't know. I should know it. But I don't. I don't know it. Anyway, I'll keep. I'll, I'll. I'll get you in the loop, Gary Joe. If anybody tells me who would be a good person to to play me in a Diz Runs biopic, um, let's get out of here before we do any more damage. Before before we ruin this any further, uh, y'all. Thanks for the questions. If you if you want to get if you, if you want to be part of this of this nonsense next month or down the road, maybe you want to you want to try to you know improve this a little bit with uh, with some we had some good questions maybe you want to get some more good questions into the mixer um disruns.com slash facebook is a link it'll direct you right to our facebook group click to join we'll let you in uh, you can also just search for the disruns tribe next time you're on facebook come on come on and join the party it's a party and every once in a while we have, it's a good party it, you know rob jones rob jones
So, you know, it's just further proof that we really do have the best running group on Facebook. But, but my man can say, hey, um, you never know when it might be your last run. I've got a brain tumor. I'm having surgery tomorrow. Uh, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, dude. Uh, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Glad, glad that y'all are a part of that with us. And uh, anyway, come join the party. Dizruns.com slash Facebook. And, uh, yeah, if you got if you got thoughts on who should play me or just other thoughts in general, add Dizruns on the social media. Dizruns at gmail.com. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1222. Get you back to the show notes for today in that comment section. Fill it up. Let me know what you think down there as well. And uh, we'll go from there. So until next time, y'all, be well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all the questions. Appreciate y'all. We'll do this again another month, all right? Shall we? We shall. Anyway, see y'all. Oh,